0: Coming up next on the Passion Struck Podcast.
1: I am so passionate about helping people get out of that moment when they're at a job and they're like, well, turns out it's not really fulfilling me. I guess I have the, I've checked the boxes. I've got the 401k. I've got some kind of a title and I feel dead inside. It's like, yeah, we got to change that.
0: PassionStruck. Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 149 of PassionStruck. Recently ranked as one of the top five alternative Health podcasts in the world. And thank you to each and every one of you who comes back weekly to listen and learn how to live better, be better, and impact the world. If you missed our episodes from last week, they featured Dr. Michael Slepian, the author of the new book, The Secret Life of Secrets. And he and I discuss his amazing research that went into the creation of this book. And we also had on Dr. Scott Schur, who is one of the foremost experts in the world on hyperbonic oxygen therapy and how it's can be used to treat neurodegenerative diseases, chronic conditions, as well as recovery from cancer, especially radiation, and how it can be used for peak performance. My solo episode from last week was on why we should focus on the journey and not the destination. Thank you for all your five-star reviews and for forwarding these episodes if you love them to friends and family members. It makes such a huge difference to us in continuing to grow with the popularity of this show. Now, let's 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 talk about today's guest. Kathy Heller is a bundle of inspiration and energy. She is host of the popular podcast, The Kathy Heller Show, which has over 30 million downloads. She has interviewed everyone from Tony Robbins to Deepak Chopra to Malcolm Gladwell. You may also know her as the best-selling author of the book, Don't Keep Your Day Job, or from her reputation as a singer-songwriter from when her career began. When she's not teaching or interviewing amazing guests, you can find Kathy playing with her three little girls, writing books, songwriting for commercials, or enjoying a moment with friends. Today, we discuss Kathy's childhood and why she describes it as being a five-year-old therapist for her parents. We go into her transition into the music industry and why two failed recording contracts inspired her to take a different career path to being a songwriter who was featured in Billboard magazine. We discuss the keys to her creation of an extremely popular podcast, and we go over several of her recent guests. We discuss her book, Don't Keep Your Day Job, and why she feels what you seek is seeking you. We also explore why empathy is missing today in the world and so much more. Thank you for choosing Passion Struck and choosing me to be your host and guide on your journey to creating an intentional life. Now, let that journey begin. I am so ecstatic to welcome one of my favorite podcast hosts, Kathy Heller to the Passion Struck Podcast. Welcome and thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much for being such a loving, conscientious person. I knew that from first just watching your content. And in the few minutes we just spoke before we hit record, I was just really touched by how intentional and caring you are about the way you hold space for people. And so I'm happy to be here.
0: I mean, that means the world to me. I'm going to jump into it. As I was reading your book, and we'll cover this in more detail, in it, you describe how you had a tough childhood. And not only that, you said that you became your parents' therapist at age five. And I can't even imagine what that would have been like. But how has that experience, and maybe you can talk about it, influenced where you are today and how you've become the incredible woman that you are?
1: Oh, thank you for the question. I mean, I think that if I interviewed everybody who lives on my block, let's just say all my neighbors, they all probably have stories. My husband lost his dad unexpectedly when he was a child, which created a lot of interesting things in their life. And I had my story. And my story was that, yeah, my parents were indeed very unhappy. They were Very mismatched as a couple. And they are both really ridiculed with their own amount of insecurities and anxieties. And uh, my mom struggles with her with depression and a lot of things that went undiagnosed for a while. And so it didn't create an environment where there was any kind of peace or well-being. And there was a lot of emotional things going on, but there was also physical violence in my house. And I think the role that I chose, I think as kids, were very adaptable. And it's amazing how we choose different ways to survive. And so the way that I chose to sort of make it through that was to be the peacemaker and to always have something sweet to say and to be happy and smiley and never cause trouble and never say if I didn't like the food we were eating and never asked to change the radio station in the car or make too much noise. It was just very much a way of like walking on eggshells and sort of avoiding whatever would feel like a big scary landmine and i got praised for being helpful right and so i would sit and mediate between my parents and nothing was really off limits they would tell me all of their problems they would discuss in detail what was going on in their sex life and what was upsetting to my dad and what he wanted more from her and i look back and i think how like inappropriate and it was like abusive like i have three children and there's so many things that I wouldn't, not only would I never share it, I wouldn't want anyone to share it with them, right? They're not at an age where any of it is appropriate. So I felt the the weight of the world. I, I knew how upset my mom was. I knew how unfulfilled, I knew how angry my dad was. And then my dad eventually left and he would confide in me about the women that he would see. And I felt very sort of pulled in two directions with my loyalty. And my mom wound up spiraling into like an even more serious depression. And that brings us to the, the second thing that you sort of asked, which is how did that affect you or, or make you into who you are today? Well, when my dad actually left and my mom went from bad to worse and started to become very suicidal and I was like calling an ambulance in the middle of the night to come and get her dealing with these things for, at a young age, I started to witness, I started to observe just what it looked like to not have a sense of purpose, not have a sense of fulfillment. And I knew that that was a cautionary tale. And I knew that there weren't that many people who were modeling for me the complete opposite. Like even if my friends' families looked to be maybe doing a little bit better than my family was in terms of an emotional, stable environment, I didn't see like adults that lived on my block that were just like so passionately enthusiastic, getting up every day. It did seem like people were saying things like, you know how it is when you grow up, life's hard. It's a lot of sacrifice. It's And it was just like, wait, that doesn't seem like something I want to grow up to be. And so I started to seek answers. And so at the age of like, 12, 13, 14, 15. I mean, I had already grown up faster than I wanted to because of the environment that I was in. So I was reading, my friends were reading Judy Bloom or whatever, and I was reading Wayne Dyer and Don Miguel Ruiz, The Four Agreements. And some of it I really didn't get yet, right? Some of it was too advanced, but some of it I did get. And I was seeking, I was wanting answers, right? And I started going to therapy at a young age because of what was going on with the divorce and all of that stuff. And I was really on my own because my mom was really in and out of a suicidal sort of episode. And so I was living with her in this little apartment. But I would go to my grandmother's house sometimes. Sometimes I would work. I would try. I got two jobs at the age of fifteen so that I could be out of the house and making money because we didn't have any money. And these books and seeking wisdom really helped me a lot. And I think it's so much wrapped up in what I do, right? Number one, I have a tremendous amount of empathy. My mom, this is really relevant. My mom in her senior year, in the senior year book, she was chosen as like the most talented senior superlative, right? They picked 10 kids, most talented, most academic, most athletic. She was that. And when she was in high school, she was the lead in every musical and her understudy in every single musical was this woman named Ellen Green, who was always not quite as talented as my mom, but almost. And after high school, Ellen said to my mom, why don't you come with me into the city and we'll both audition for Broadway shows because they lived in New York at the time. And my mom said, no, I I don't feel like I could really sustain that lifestyle. I don't think I have the stamina to remember the lines or to live that kind of life. And she also thought she had to choose between having a quote-unquote normal family life or having her dream. She didn't think she could have both. Well, Ellen Green, this woman, wound up becoming the star in a Broadway show called Little Shop of Horrors. And she, she played Audrey. And then they did the movie version and she played Audrey. And I remember my mom saying to me, that she didn't go to that audition. And my whole life when she was like combing my hair or we were getting ready for school, all she talked about, I mean it, like 99% of the things we talked about was her feeling unfulfilled. And so I saw firsthand how having her own identity, that happiness is an inside job. And she put so much on the marriage, right? And blame my dad for so much of what was just missing inside because she wasn't living in integrity with herself. And there was nothing that he could do to to fulfill that. And he was also wrapped up in his own stuff and drinking too much, and he's got his own stuff. So together, it was just like a tornado. But as an adult, when I started to leave the house, I thought, I'm on a mission to, number one, I want to live in integrity. I want to be my authentic self. I don't want to have to choose between doing a dream that's inside of my heart or having a family. I know that there's a way, there's got to be a way to be both. Um, and I really wanted other people to feel that the gifts that were inside of them should not be dying and collecting dust, that the things that are inside of us, that is a rite of passage, that that's, there's a whisper there, that we are, I believe that we are assigned. I, I wound up after college. Um, going on a trip to Jerusalem, which was not so out of character because I was studying world religion and philosophy, which just to continue sort of my search for meaning, I studied that in college, wound up going to Jerusalem, stayed there for two and a half years. And one of my rabbis said something so beautiful, which is we are each a masterpiece, a piece of the master. And that we we all come into this world with a different imprint to make, which is why we each have a different fingerprint, right? There's no evolutionary need for that, but it's a little wink at the idea that we have a soul. We have something inside us that's unique. And I think that the reason my mom was so unfulfilled is because we all deep down know that we were put here to contribute. We were put here to feel seen, and we feel the most seen by making something better, by touching someone else. And I think that's so incredible because nature, as beautiful as it is, I don't think koala bears or kangaroos are thinking to themselves, gosh, I really want to impact the world. But every time I've ever spent a substantial amount of time with any human being, there's a baseline need to do that. And that's like the most fulfilling possible thought is, well, I don't. Now, between where they are and that, there's a lot of, I don't think I'm good enough, or I don't know that anybody needs me. But deep down, if for whatever reason, they felt they could in fact express some unique gift and change the world, make it better, that always lights up a person like a Christmas tree. I think that is why I am relentless at helping people see that they do have an exponential amount of talent and that everybody has Michael Jordan strength at something and that there is indeed a way for them to use their hands, to use their voice, to feel fulfilled and to make the world better. And I I, I'm certain that all the things that happened were a blessing for me because it all led to me waking up the way I am now feeling so grateful that I get to live out this assignment to help people find their life's life's work.
0: Yeah. And don't you feel just so much more inner peace when it's not about you and it's about just trying to do what you can to help other people and their suffering and find joy in their lives. It's a night and 100%. day transformation.
1: A hundred percent. And I remember having Bob Goff on my podcast and he was talking about how, It's really just about raising your hand and being available. Like Seth Godin has this beautiful piece where he says, imagine if you were a lifeguard and you just got done with training. So you've been a lifeguard for three days officially, and you're sitting next to the senior lifeguard and the senior lifeguard says, I'm going to go take a break for lunch. You got this. You've gone through training. It's now your third day. You'll be fine. And just as soon as the guy gets up to go, somebody starts to drown. There's a little kid drowning. Nowhere in this person's mind would they think, oh, I'll just wait for the other lifeguard. Who am I to jump in there? I'm not seasoned enough. They would just dive in, right? Just dive in the water, just do their best. And I think what happens is we all create Right. We all create an ego, anything psychological, whether you read Freud or you read, like I mentioned, Wayne Dyer before, read anything, right? We have a part of ourselves that's constantly trying to protect ourselves from danger. That's the brain does that, right? And so part of what it's doing is always like overanalyzing. Well, you might make a fool of yourself, and it's obsessed. The ego is obsessed with the self, but the self with a small s, the self with a capital S is the part of you that's beyond your ego, right? When I had Deepak Chopra on the show recently, he said, okay, so who really are you? Are you the zygote? Are you the eight-year-old version of you? Are you the the college version of you, right? You, you, You think of any time in your life You always had a different hairstyle. You had different friends. You ate different food. You like different music. So what's the same? The same is the part that's not the ego, not the fictitious character you play, right? It's not the Kathy Heller, whatever story of the day is makes up who I am, the roles I play. Who I am is the part of me that's always been there since the second I was conceived, right? It's this life force, this energy. You could call it consciousness, you can call it a soul. That part of us. The default is just to show up, just to be generous. It doesn't worry about being good enough, right? And so, yes, it's unbelievably satisfying when you're not obsessed. I now see imposter syndrome as being what it is. It's the most egotistical state. It's all self-obsession with the small self. When you're in a state of open-heartedness, when you're in a state of generosity, when you're in a state of just service, passion, compassion, love, joy, enthusiasm you can just show up and give. It's so easy. It's so effortless. Cause you're not thinking about, well, how am I going to look? Well, what if I fail? You're not interested in yourself. You're interested in the big self, the one self, what connects us all.
0: I'll give two more examples of it. I recently had Jen Bauer on the podcast and uh, for those not familiar with Jen, she was born without legs. Now is a best New York times bestselling author She speaks to hundreds of thousands of people. And it's really because her parents taught her, you can't put can't in your vocabulary. So her whole life's mission now is to go out and teach people that everything is possible, which, and she's doing it just in droves. People just flock to see her. And this past week, I did a solo episode. I'm not sure if you know who Lizzie Velasquez is. Well, I used her as the example. And if the audience isn't familiar When she was around 17, she happened to go on YouTube and saw a video that had gone viral with her image on it, 4 million views, which said the world's ugliest human being. Of course, she went through a tremendous amount of self-healing as a result of that, but she's one of only two people in the whole world who have this rare disease that she can't gain more than 60 pounds. Mm. and. She has completely turned it around though. And I think she's now in her early thirties. Her life's mission now is to help other people to not get bullied. So she's done so three beautiful. or 400 seminars, written three books, her Ted talk on it had 10 million views on YouTube channel, 71 million views. So I think God finds us and we all have this purpose inside of us that we need to explore. And when you do, it gets magnified so much because anyone I talk to who's living their purpose isn't doing it for themselves. It's like you, they're doing it to try to serve humanity for the better good.
1: So. So beautiful. What incredible examples. So incredible. The power of the spirit, right? The ego. It's like, what can it do? It's like I had Marianne Williamson on the podcast a month ago and she said, it's not the faucet. It's the water. You can have the most fancy faucet in the world, the most crummy faucet in the world. The water is the, the impressive part, right? So it's like we have these bodies, right? We have these shells. We have these stories, whatever it is, where you were born, who your parents are, uh, what you look like, how tall you are, whatever. And then you have what's flowing through this thing.
0: I know all those discount codes are difficult to remember. So we put them all at passionstruck.com slash deals. Now back to passion struck.
1: It's just magic, right? And it doesn't matter. The power of an open heart, the power of passion, the power of resilience, the power of the intangible, it smacks you in the face. The second it walks in the door, you can just feel it. And if everyone really knew that and really cultivated it. Because I remember Tony Robbins, I also had him on the podcast recently. And he said, people often think that they're not going to get where they want to be because they lack the resources. They don't have the pedigree. They don't have the financial support. They don't have the time. They don't have whatever resource you think that you need. And he said, and it's never that. It's the resourcefulness. And it's the resources that we actually have in spades, which is all the things that you were just talking about. The the perseverance, the personality, the the love, the, the, all of that, the empathy, right? For other people, you turn that on to, to full blast. The money's going to show up if that's what you need. The time's going to show up if that's what you need. The connections will show up. if that. You're just not turning it all the way on because you're so focused on the fact that you're lacking something physical, which it never, I mean, how much money did Jesus have? Like, I mean, what PhD did Moses have, right? Like, who, what are we talking about? The people who changed the course of history, these are not people who were the prettiest, most this, they're just the the fullest, right? Inside. Yeah.
0: Or Gandhi, who is one of the biggest introverts to, to ever live and look at what he did through just demonstrating.
1: Embodying the peace, right? Fully embodying it. I know. I think about what's going on right now with Ukraine and it's just like, it's just the oldest story in the book. It's the oldest story, right? That people think if I had more, right? If I have more power, I'll be more significant. If I have more land, I'll be more significant. And it's just like, no, that just makes your ego think it's bigger and more significant, which if you just keep riding that train, it it's never enough. I heard Jim Carrey say recently, I wish everyone could be rich and famous just to realize that it's not an answer for anything.
0: We will be right back. To my interview with Kathy Heller. Oprah Winfrey, she's living, breathing proof of the power of passion. Running away from home at age 13, starting a media empire, and now worth $2.6 billion. All to say that when she makes a big move, you can learn a lot by watching. And after she made $60 million in one fell swoop, I did some research on how, and my eyes were opened to a market out there worth $1.7 billion. That, for the first time, we all can be part of. No Oprah-level billions needed. How? There's a startup that's blowing the whole thing wide open called Masterworks. Powered by passion, like all good startups are, and eager to change the world. To learn more, go to masterworks.io and use promo code PASSION. That's masterworks.io, promo code PASSION. See important regulation A disclosures at masterworks.io slash cd. That's masterworks.io promo code passion. And we know all these promo codes can be so difficult to remember. So we put them in one convenient place on passionstruck.com slash deals. Thank you so much for supporting the sponsors who support this show and make it free for our listeners everywhere. Now back to my interview with Kathy Heller. Well, there's so much truth to that. I can tell you that firsthand. I think the times when I was the richest I've ever been in my life, had these huge jobs people envy for. I was deep down inside the most dissatisfied because I would sit there and I'd look at myself and I'd say, why do you keep spending your life making other people's dreams come true, but not Mm -hmm. your own? It takes a while to break free of it because everything around you, how people perceive you, when they ask, what do you do? You say, "I'm um, blah, 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 blah. The car you drive, the house you're in, and it's built on a pile of crap. It yeah. <laughs> is the opposite of how great it could be if you were really doing the thing you were meant to do. And, yeah, that, and I, I lived through that.
1: I love that you just shared that. When I was first in LA, I, I moved out to LA and I thought, oh, I want to, I want to use my gifts, right? And so I wanted to get a record deal because it was the highest branch I could see that I could reach for. And it was also sort of the completion of the dream that I knew my mom always had that she didn't ever complete, right? Is to get to be sort of using her musical talent. And uh, she was so threatened. She's like, don't you go out there. It'll never happen for you. It doesn't happen for people like us. She was so threatened that there was a big picture of me from when I was a kid in the sort of hallway and it was on the wall, hanging next to a big picture of my sister. She ripped the picture off the wall and the glass shattered on the floor and she slammed the door and walked outside. She was just like, who do you think you are to move out there? It was just like she had to confront, well, if Kathy does make something happen, then what does it mean about all the years I told myself that nothing could happen? Anyway, I wound up getting the record deal after two years of writing better and better and better songs until they actually were good enough. And I got signed to Interscope. I was actually sitting with Lady Gaga. She was recording paparazzi and I was, I was there. I was about to record next. And I was, I couldn't believe it until about two months later, I got dropped from the label and I was like crushed until I was like, Oh, I'll just sign with a different label. And so I met Craig Kalman who ran Atlantic records and we hit it off. And he was like, we're going to do this. And I was like, great. And I started working on that record until that didn't work out either. And um, I wound up getting day jobs and there was a time where I was so unhappy, like you were saying, because my rabbi had once said, can you imagine if you were a guitar, but instead of being used as a guitar, you were holding a potted plant, like inside the, you know, the hollow of a guitar, like that guitar would be miserable if it could have, if it could talk because it's no, it knows it's not supposed to hold a potted plant. It's supposed to make music, which he used that example not for me personally, that was like an example. He was like, no, that's exactly how I felt working those day jobs. Cause I was so close, right? I was so close. So it hurt even more that I was just like going to work, wearing a suit, blowing out my hair, wearing high heels. I was working in Brentwood for this dude who sold commercial real estate. He bought these like $300 million shopping centers and then broke them into pieces. And he was a nice person. And he was paying me about $150,000. And my friends said to me, you cannot leave this job. Like at 25 years old, to be making this much money, you would be actually crazy to leave. And I was able to rent an apartment in Beverly Hills on a really safe, beautiful block. And I was able to go to sushi and even pay for my friends dinner right it was it was a, it was definitely more than enough money than i needed at 25 and i had this is a girl who paid my way through college this is a girl whose dad wound up getting married to somebody else when i was in high school didn't invite me to the wedding i was cut off financially so having this money was helpful and i was so unhappy and i looked at myself in the mirror one day as i was riding in the elevator i saw myself in the elevator door i just broke into tears and there was a voice Like me talking to me saying, what are you doing? This is not okay. And everything in my life felt like a part I was playing. The guy I was dating, I liked him on paper, but I really wasn't into him. You're like, you kind of make sense, but I'm not like, I don't feel like you're my person. I didn't like how I was dressing. I didn't like the people I was hanging out with. I didn't like the bars we would all go to and the way that people talked who were all about being in financial world, the real estate world. It's like, this isn't me at all. So I I left and I asked a new question, which is I I literally walked outside and put my head in my hands. I was crying and I said to God, I was like, is there any other way? If I'm not going to be Taylor Swift or Beyonce, is there any way for you to help me use my gifts? And Tony Robbins had said on one of those tapes I was listening to in high school when I would listen to all those self-help books, I remember the tape in my car and it said, if you ask a new question, you're going to get a new answer. And so that became the new question. Is there any other way? I had never asked that question. Is it only be a rock star or nothing? Because I think a lot of people think, well, I either get lucky and I become Michael Jordan or I don't do anything with basketball. It's like, well, wait a minute, you could manage a team. You could work for Madison Square Garden. Ooh, that would be fun! I love the sport. My husband worked at Fox Sports for 15 years. Like he was never going to be in the NBA, but he got to do something that was like really fun. There's so many degrees between where we are and what we think is the only end-all be-all. And so I started writing music for TV shows. I read an article about people who were licensing their music to shows like Grey's Anatomy and Dawson's Creek. And I started to do it. And I started to write music for Target commercials and Hasbro and Walmart. And I was making no joke. Every time I would write a song, they would give me 50 grand, 70 grand, just for the license, just for the right to use it. And next thing I knew, I felt so rich. It wasn't about the money. It was, I'm off the hamster wheel. Like People say, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I write music. Like, You make money doing that? I'm like, I make $400,000 a year doing that. So for a whole decade, I wrote music for film and TV and I had my daughter and then I had my next daughter and I got married and I met a better person who really was my person who by the way, was always, this is what's so funny. He was living next door to me in those years when I was working that stupid day job. And he remembers thinking, oh, I would never date her. Because he said to me, You looked like you sold timeshares. You looked like a fake cardboard, like a mannequin who's like playing a part. And he was totally right. He's like, I didn't think you had a lot of like meat to you. And I was like, Oh my God. I was driving this white Seal Mercedes. We all drove the same car. Like in real estate, you all, everyone played this role. And then as soon as I became myself, we started to become friends. And then we, he was always next door. It was so weird, right? I couldn't see him because I wasn't myself. Anyways, people started asking me, they would see me actually it's sitting on my desk, but I was featured in Billboard magazine. And then I was featured in Variety magazine. I'm holding up these magazines for people who are not watching this. And they would write these full page stories. It's going to take me too long to find the other one. But they would write these full page stories on like how I was making all this money writing music. And I thought, oh, goody. The record deals are going to see these articles because they're full page articles in all the biggest music magazines, and they're going to want me back and I'm going to get my record deal. No, what wound up happening was even better, but I couldn't see it because God's plans are always so much better. What happened was for every article that was written about me, there were thousands, I mean, thousands of people who read them and said, I want to be like that. And I would get email after email and message after message until... One day I was in the LA Weekly in a full page story and my husband's friend who was a lawyer was just reading the paper and he came over and he goes, I need to talk to you. I'm sitting here eating my lunch and I see you in the LA Weekly and you're talking about how you've done all this stuff with music. And I'm saying, Kathy's missing a huge opportunity. And I said, what? And he said, you should teach this. You should help other people. You should help aspiring. I, John, my ego was there and I was insulted. And I thought, you know, Steve must not think I'm really talented because if you thought I was really talented, he would say, look at what you're doing. I know you're going to be back in, on stage. And he said, what do you mean? I'm not insulting you. Why are you being so resistant? I said, because you're telling me to go teach. You're telling me to help other people. And he goes, no, it's so obvious that you've done something that's working. And there's a strategy. If you get, He goes, look, if you do one thing, one time you get a song on a TV show, maybe you got lucky but you're doing it over and over and over and over and over again. My husband was his friend. He goes, "You're you're making more than the two of us. And we went to law school so you could teach this and maybe you could help other people. And I finally, it was a few weeks later, I was driving in my car and I thought, he's right. Say yes, help other people. This is a gift. This is a gift. And so it just started with the intention of like, maybe I could help. And so for free, then I said, the next person who asked me, I'll take them to, or they can take me to coffee, however, we want to do it. And just for the cost of coffee, I'll sit with them for an hour. Well, I wound up doing that like three or four times a week. People would take me to coffee and say, what do you know? What can I do? They would make lists. I would tell them what da, da, da. next thing I know. I said, there's so many people now. My husband said, you know, you have two kids at this point. This is a lot of your time. So I held a little workshop in my house on a Sunday. People paid 300 bucks. So it was like three grand. I'd have 10 people come over. I was like, wow, that's a lot of money for a day. People loved it. I wound up renting a theater. We had 50 seats in the theater. The theater cost me $200 to rent for two hours. We would charge hundred dollars a seat. We would sell it out. I realized I really liked doing this. And then one of my students said, you should start a podcast. And I said, all right, I start writing up the idea for the podcast. I say to my husband, I don't want to write a, I don't want to do a podcast about the music business. And he said, no, you're missing it. You could help anyone with their dream Based on the same principles and so I started the podcast and now we've 30 million downloads in five years and the podcast turned into a multi seven figure enterprise and I'm so much happier I don't even have to think about it it's like I'm it just it's a it's a it's like a faucet of well-being and fulfillment because every day it's all about how many people could I move into who they really want to be? How many people can I help rise? And uh, that's what brought me here with you. So I am so passionate about helping people get out of that moment when they're at a job and they're like, well, turns out it's not really fulfilling me. I guess I have the, I've checked the boxes. I've got the 401k. I've got some kind of a title and I feel dead inside. It's like, yeah, we got to change that.
0: Uh, Boy, do I know that feeling all too well. Well, What an incredible story. And I'm going to have to relate this to both my kids. We started both of them in music early on. Both of them, we started playing piano and my daughter now can play the bass and guitar and other things. And my son is a really good percussionist as well. But I think he more so than my daughter has some stage fright. So he's kind of always wanted to be in the music industry. And didn't know where he could play it, but he has written like 200 songs. I'm like, the songwriting deal is the deal. You can make the most money.
1: (laughs) What you just said. In fact, I remember because of my mom thinking she had to choose between being a parent or having a dream. When my husband and I got married, I remember thinking and telling him very clearly, I'm going to have a self. Like I'm not going to wind up because it, it's, it's worse for my children, right? My kids will feel the weight of me being unfulfilled. And so I purposely did not want to perform. Once I had my kids, I really wanted to be home. And so part of what I loved about licensing music is exactly what you said. I realized, no, the songwriting is the whole deal. Like A, it's the fun part. B, you get paid for it. The publishing is what's worth the most, right? Not the performance. And so I loved that. I say this to people when I'm helping them create whatever career they want. If they want to sell candles or create a workshop or start a podcast or make their own kombucha, I say you get to pick your fishing hole, right? There's always going to be a customer at Whole Foods and there's always going to be a customer at the 99 cent store. There's no problem. You get to choose who's your investor, who's your customer, who's your buyer. Well, when you license music as opposed to perform, if you want to go perform in a club and get a minivan and go around the country with your friends you're not going to make that much money. But if you set your sights on, I'm going to write music for McDonald's, I'm going to write music for ABC television, they have a checkbook and you may as well. So yes, definitely relay that to him.
0: I definitely will. For an audience member who doesn't realize how popular your podcast is, and I think of $30 Downloads, and I'm just in awe. I started mine a little bit over a year ago in February, and, and we're just at 500,000. And That's people wonderful. ask me, people ask me, how'd you get to 500,000? And then I like see where you're at, and I'm just like, how in the heck do you do you go from A to B? But if someone isn't familiar with your show and you recently changed the name to the Kathy Heller Show, which I'd I'd love to hear why. But what I love about it and what drew me to listening to it is just the raw emotion that you demonstrate on the show. And if someone has never listened to it, I would recommend two episodes I recently downloaded: one with Gabby Bernstein and the other with uh, Deepak Chopra. And I love. In the Deepak one, how emotionally vulnerable you were about having an idol of yours on the show. and the Gabby one, it was just tear-jerking yeah. to hear your conversation about her losing her baby. For you to to get people to express those things, grief and other things like that, on your show is a true gift. Do you think that's part of the reason it's taken off like it has?
1: Yeah, I do. I There's a line in the Talmud that says that words from the heart speak to the heart. My friend Adam Grant says... You don't have to say something new if you say something true. And everybody who's listening probably can think of many people who've said the same things, but then there's somebody who says it. And for some reason you hear it. When Gary Zukoff was on my show and he said, we think that there's something called cause and effect and the cause creates the effect. He said, but it's the intention that creates the effect because three people could do the exact same thing, but the effect will be different based on the intention. And so just like I said to you, you have a gift, Right. As soon as I came on, I could just feel the respect and the love. And when you do that, it's immediate and it makes the other person feel seen and safe. And so I do think when people are like, so what online strategies for marketing do you do? I'm like, you're going to think this is crazy now, (laughs) but it's called love. When I'm with you right now, or when I'm with the woman at the checkout counter at the grocery store, or I'm in an Uber, or I'm talking to Gabby Bernstein or Deepak Chopra, whoever it is, I'm there. And it's not about an agenda. It's about the connection, like being right there. And it's the most incredible gift. Each person is such a gem, right? And when the podcast started, for whatever reason, I do it more now, but for whatever reason, then I did not think of what's the return on this in terms of like, how are we going to get all these downloads? I just thought I'm going to do this period. And so I did. And then it got featured by Apple. And then it got featured again. It's an interesting story. My agent said to me, she's going to be at podcast movement this weekend. And she's like, are you going to be there? And I said, no, I've spoken there before. And when I spoke there, this is four years ago, I didn't know what I was doing. I couldn't believe they asked me. I spoke in a small room about sort of starting a podcast and everybody who was there kept saying, Ooh, you got to walk the floor. You got to network. And the person you really got to meet is the guy who runs the Apple podcasts. He's here. You got to meet him. And I felt there was such a kind of gross pressure-filled energy in the lobby where people kept trying to. So during my break, I actually, we were at a convention center. I walked out of the lobby into a different hotel just to have a nice tea. And it was quiet in there. And would you believe I'm sitting next to a guy? And he he and I both had the same um, badge you know you wear when you're at a conference. So I knew I couldn't see what it on his badge, but I knew we were both at the conference. So he turned to me and he goes, you had the same thought as me. It's crazy in there, Right. And I said, yeah, you know, everyone in there is just like, they're trying to give each other their card. there. And it's all good. It's just that energy for me. It's intense. And I just wanted to step away. I said, I like it in here. It's quiet. So we start talking. He said he's from the Midwest. I said, my husband's from Chicago. I love Midwesterners They're salt of the earth. We start chatting. We're talking about our favorite podcast. We're talking about what makes us sort of tick. And then he gets up to leave and he hands me his card.
0: It's a the person from Apple.
1: He's the head of Apple podcasts. He said, I really like you. I could cry thinking about that. And he's like, you're going to do just fine. And it makes me cry because it was like when they zig, you zag, right? You, you. So then he follows up with me. He invites me to come to the Apple headquarters. They have a, a, a place in uh, Culver City. So I go and they treat me to lunch. And he says to me, I started listening to your show. I love it. And he says, would you come to New York to speak at the podcast upfronts where like Ira Glass from this American life and Dr. Phil had a new show. And next thing I know I'm having dinner with him and he goes, can I show you the new ad that Apple is going to run for the podcasts to show people about podcasts and how they can download it? I was like, this is insane, right? That's called magic. And that's what happens when you stop worrying, this is what the ego does. This is the agenda I need. This is what I need, right? I'm, the world is scarce and I need to get mine and I got a puzzle. No, when you actually drop fully into this is what matters. This is who I really am, right? Really. And whatever then is the best of this world, right? It'll all connect with that. You let go. I've had literally one zillion experiences like that.
0: What an amazing story. If we had more time, I would tell you about an almost exact story I had. I was trying to break into the Top Gun community, went to a conference. Okay, I'll just do a short version of tell it.
1: Tell me, I, I love it. And
0: I'm not one of these people who likes the networking. I would rather, instead of giving out a million business cards, find one meaningful conversation, yeah. spend my time talking yeah. to them. Well, I see this person wearing a Corvette jacket, and I loved Corvettes. So we just started talking didn't really talk about work at all for about 15, 20 minutes, then asked what I did. And then said, do you know anything about how to do distant education? And I'm like, yes, we just delivered the biggest program for anyone in the world. And he goes, well, I'm the head of Top Gun. (laughs) And I'm here looking for a partner. And needless to say, under 18 months later, I had a $5 million deal. It's now a $100 million a year program for Booz Allen. And unfortunately, I left them or else I would have been like super rich. It's the same kind of thing. And, but it's when you've got those opportunities. That's
1: so cool.
0: Yes. It kind of just gives you goosebumps. In the introduction, you talk about how so many people are getting caught in the matrix where other people are telling them what their worth is. How can you break free to understand your true worth?
1: Well, this brings us back to that conversation with Deepak because his new book is called Abundance, The Inner Path to Wealth. You have to understand context. Deepak Chopra was born in India, where there's the most amount, I don't know if it's the most amount of poverty, but it could be. I don't know. I don't know the data. So. He's not a person who's cavalier talking about wealth, right? He knows what it's like for people to really not have. In this book, he lays out what I've always believed. What I've come to know a lot more recently is really the truth, which is we never, 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 never get what we want. We get what we are. And we've been talking about it already, but who we are is not this story. It's not this ego. And- this idea of like, what are we worth? Right. When you really connect with that part of you, like he said to me, and and you heard it on the podcast, I told him that it's been really helpful for me using his, I am meditation. And he, and it's very simple. And anyone who's listening can do it, which is, he says, say first your name. I am, I am, you would say, I am John Miles. I would say, I'm Kathy Heller. So say that three times. I'm Kathy Heller. I'm Kathy Heller. Right. He goes, now just say, I am. That part of you is infinite. That part of you is totally whole. That part of you is not lacking anything. That part of you is loving, right? That part of you is healing. That part of you is goodness. That part, right? That's our worth. It's called infinite. And to bring up what Marianne Williamson said again, the second thing that she said that I thought was really powerful was that we look and we think, oh, I'm a wave next to other waves, right? But if you know the ocean, it's like each wave is completely connected and part of the other waves and it's completely connected to the ocean itself. So Einstein, who's a pretty smart person, was famously saying that reality with a capital R is just this one connected infinite field that just keeps going on and on and on. That's energy. And so we we get really confused right? We buy into this illusion of the separateness of things, the smallness, the 3D part. But when Deepak was on, he said, Kathy, show me what's in the room that you're in right now. I said, well, there's a a mug of my coffee. I see your face on my computer screen. There's a candle. He goes, you just told me everything that you see that's physical, but you you didn't name the space in between where you are and the computer, right? You forget to see that An atom is 99% energy and it's less than 1% a particle. And even the particle part of the atom, it moves, it vibrates so quickly that it's more of like a a liquid than a solid. So just like we were talking about, there's just a tremendous amount. And I, I was studying at UCLA, they have this whole mindful awareness center. And at these huge universities now, they're able to measure energy. And so it's like, When you really see what's there to be seen, what we're swimming in, you realize this whole thing about what's my worth and all that, it's really a story that's looking at the world in the smallest, most limiting way. And it's not really what's here. And what's really here is called infinite, beautiful abundance. And that's what you are. And the more you feel that expansion, you will attract expansion on every level. Your relationships will be more expansive the money you make, you'll realize it's just energy. Deepak also said there's no waste in the universe. If the money comes in, it just goes right back out. So you can allow yourself to be a conduit for more abundance on every level, more energy that comes to you, more love, more enthusiasm, more money. It just goes right back out into the atmosphere. So actually to hold ourselves back from it would be about the ego again, and what the ego believes is available and what's not. Do you understand? It's really fascinating
0: it reminds me of something, a line you had in the book, which I loved, which is what you seek is seeking you, which I thought was a really great point. Yeah. And it reminds me, I do a a daily affirmation that goes, I just say, I am grateful. I am forgiving. I am giving. My life is beautiful, creative, prosperous, productive, and magical. And gorgeous and all true. And I try to say that every day because sometimes it's hard to be filled with gratitude for the things you have. Like you pointed out what's around you in this room and everything else, you end up taking it for granted instead of living in the moment. I'm going to ask you one last question. We touched on this a little bit earlier in the podcast, but I wanted to revisit it. My solo episode this week is on the importance of empathy. It was, I think it's something that's not discussed enough and not enough people today are displaying it. Can you just tell me from your viewpoint, why do you think empathy is so vital?
1: Oh my gosh. I mean, I think that that's what's missing. I think that's really what we need more than anything else. In fact, we live in an empathy deficit. You can talk about the economy or you can talk about anything else, but the real problem is there's an empathy deficit because we are one. What I notice is that when you talk to people who feel sad, they feel alone. When you talk to people who feel sad, they don't feel needed. They don't feel seen. And that's so ridiculous. Pain is inevitable. Pain is part of the process, but suffering is optional. And the majority of suffering that I see is unnecessary, is that people don't feel seen by other people. People have lost the empathy in their life that they need. And it starts with having empathy for yourself, right? As the Bible famously says, you love your neighbor like yourself. That means You can't carry shame and then think you're going to have empathy for somebody else because everything's a hologram. So if you're judging yourself, if you're constantly flogging yourself for what you're not enough or this or that, you're not going to project empathy in the world. So it starts with, you really want to change the world, right? You really want to help Ukraine. You could send money, but you really want to help. It's like heal, right? hurt people, hurt people. And if thoughts can actually make us sick, which they've now turned out, it's true. It creates, we think a bad thought, scary thought, it creates cortisol in the body, which makes us sick, creates inflammation, but thoughts can make us well. So we can make each other well. We can show up for each other, but we have to first have the presence. I've heard so many people say this to me, but one of my teachers said it too, which is when you have tea in the morning, invite your whole self. First of all, your big self with the capital S, which is what you said. I'm generous. I'm prosperous. I'm creative. That's the Deepak I am. But then even the ego, everyone who's listening right now has a part of themselves that's brave, a part of themselves that's terrified, a part of themselves that's self-sabotage, a part of themselves that's a liar, a part of themselves that's a fraud. We all have aspects of the ego because the ego is it's broken. That's okay. Right. Just welcome it, welcome it. And then it's easier for you to give empathy to other people. But in everything I do, even in business, Seth Godin, who I mentioned before, he says business, when it's done right, when it's successful, it's a, it's radical empathy. It's really listening. It's really understanding how to solve someone else's problem, how to tell someone else the story that helps them get from where they are to whatever they need. Right. So empathy is the glue. And um, when we slow down and we focus on that, if, if, if everyone did that every day, just a little bit, when Dr. Phil was on my show, he said, if you feel like you're missing anything in your life, give it away to someone else. So if you're feeling, you want a little more love in your life, or you feel a little lonely, or you feel a little sad or feel a little alone, make someone else feel less alone, Right go knock on your elderly neighbor's door, visit her once a week, just say hello, talk to somebody, reach out to somebody. And it's amazing how what you give, you get back. It's one of the biggest aspects of what I do. And I really feel it. And I can feel it from you as well. I feel that people walk around living quiet lives of desperation, that inside people feel oftentimes very invisible. And I don't want that. That's the thing that hurts me the most. I think I relate to it too, as a kid with my parents going through what they went through and me kind of just like standing there left sort of alone, I felt that way. And so I like to just, I guess I'll end by saying give love for no reason because I think that people think that love is earned. If I know you long enough, I give you enough rides to the airport. If I am cool enough, you'll love me back. Love, by definition, is for no reason. otherwise, it's not love. it's something else. It's a transaction. So that's where it starts. It's interesting how often we don't just give love generously, for no reason at all. So the more we practice that, maybe then we can do that with ourselves and love for no reason, whether you have, have millions of downloads or not, you could still be loving and you can still love who you are and how you're choosing to show up and be a gift in this world without putting all of this pressure on yourself. It it just it keeps going back to empathy, doesn't it?
0: It does. That was so beautiful. I'll just end on giving your musical background with one of my favorite lyrics uh, from Mumford and Sons, which is, in these bodies we will live, in these bodies we will die, where you invest your love You invest your life. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today. And I could have asked you about 15 more questions. You're such a doll.
1: Thank you for being so sweet and so smart. And I hope that we continue to stay in touch.
0: Yeah, I do as well. What an incredible interview that was with Kathy Heller, who is one of my favorite podcast hosts. Such an honor to have her today on the show. And speaking of incredible guests, we have just some truly exceptional ones coming up on the show, including Kara Chamberlain, and we tell her remarkable story of how she survived being kidnapped by a serial killer. We also have on Vice Admiral Sandy Stoes, who discusses her path from attending the Coast Guard Academy to becoming its superintendent. Doctor David Yaden a Johns Hopkins neuroscientist who is studying the science of transcendence and Dr. Katie Milkman, a behavioral scientist at University of Pennsylvania, focused on how we change the science of getting from where you are to where you want to be. And if there's a guest like these that you would like to see me interview, please reach out to us at Momentum Friday at passionstruck.com or check out my Instagram at John R. Miles. And if you're new to the show or you would like to introduce this to a friend or family member, we now have episode started packs, both on Spotify and on the passion struck website. These are collections of your favorite episodes organized by topic, which gives any new listener a great way to get acquainted to everything we do here on the show. Just go to passionstruck.com slash starter packs to get started. Now go out there yourself and be passion struck.